Back here on 93.7 The Ticket, you're listening to Old School 93.7 The Ticket on your radio dial or theticketfm.com. I'm Austin Norman, joined by Husker Hall of Famer Jay Foreman. Jay, DP and I got into this discussion yesterday. We all know who the two best coaches in Nebraska football history are. Uh, the one you played for in Tom Osborne and then Bob Devaney. Those guys are one, two. What we don't know, Jay, what we want your opinion on this segment, who's the third best coach in Nebraska history? Uh, DP and I had it between most likely Frank Solich and Bo Pelini. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would probably go uh, Frank uh, over Bo, considering, you know, he probably won. Uh, it was a little hard because Bo had the consistency, um, mm-hmm. you know, but Frank got to the, you know, national title game, right? So. Mm-hmm. I think so. Frank got you in there when they played Miami. I think so. I think Frank you got it. Frank got you a little bit deeper into the, you know, the, the realm of, of of big games. But you know, I think it's a you, it's a toss up between both. I think, you know, Bo did a lot of great things, and so did Frank. And you can't go wrong with either. Maybe it's my youth showing. I ended up going with Bo Pelini just because he won either nine or ten games every year. I mean, Frank Solich did you know have those two nine win seasons the 12 win season the 10 win season 11 win season and that that seven and seven you know 14 game season which is more common now for top teams but Nebraska went seven and, and seven not you know 13 and one or 12 and two or anything like that in a shorter tenure um Frank Solich made that national championship game he won a conference championship something that Bo Pelini yeah. never did uh, but Bo did it for you know another year longer than Frank Solich did. He was, you know, there in the transition from the Big Ten to the Big Twelve, which I don't think we can write off. And you know, I can't, I can't say Frank Solich's teams didn't show up in the big games. They won the Fiesta Bowl, they won the Alamo Bowl, and nobody was beating that that 2001 Miami team. Whereas, you know, Bo Pelini's right. teams quite often, Jay, got thrown around in big games. You know, didn't look like they wanted to be there. They tensed up. So that's a coin flip. If you give me either one of those guys for third, I have a hard time complaining with it. Yeah, I, I mean, you can't go wrong with either. Um, like I said, I would go for Frank just for the simple fact of, uh, you know, won, won a conference title, won the Fiesta Bowl, uh, got him the, up into the Rose Bowl against that Miami team. And, uh, you know, Bo had a little bit more longevity, uh, but I think Frank had a little bit more hardware. And so, but if that's your third best coaching, either you say if I'm starting a university and I got my two bell cows and Devaney and Osborne, you know, Osborne being one, Devaney two, um, and then both Pelini and Frank Solich are your, are your, your, your third options. You know, I'm sitting pretty, I'm sitting pretty if I'm a university or if I'm a person that, uh, ha, you know, is this, you know, decision maker or ranking maker that those are the three. I don't think you get, uh, three better, uh, coaches as far as winning national championships, longevity continuity and respect around the, you know, the coaching ranks. And so uh, Nebraska, you know, for the, for the most part with those four, uh, you can't get better. Now the biggest, then the big challenges is, you know, obviously we've had a couple guys that were trying to be number five. We, you know, obviously struck out with those. And now what can uh, come about of these guys, be, you know, somebody or obviously Matt rule, which is the present day becoming the, the fifth uh, best head coach or, you know, leapfrogging, um, you know, Frank or Bo and, you know, be getting up there a third. And so um, it's interesting to see what will happen in these next couple of years. So Frank Solich here at Nebraska for six seasons as head coach, Bo Pelini 
uh, for seven. Using that rule as an example, does he have to be here for six or seven years to to vault into that number five spot? Or say he's here for you know four years, maybe five years, but gets Nebraska to two conference championship games and wins two bowl games. Is that enough to move him ahead right. of, of Bo, or would he still be behind him? Uh, that'll be all subjective. I mean, if he did that in four years, um, I think the fact that he did that, if he got us to two conference championships, in two bowl games and, you know, whether he won the, you know, big 10 or not, but to say he won two bowl games in four years, you know, just for that little part, I mean, he would be definitely in the conversation and that'd be great. And even if he like, I guess, assume at that point after four years had moved on to another job or whatever, um, you know, his tenure would be successful because Nebraska would be in a, in a, in a way better place than what he took over. And that's what every coach says, um, you know, when they take over and, if that happened when he was here, then obviously he'd be a man of his word. So, uh, again, if he gets to that point or, or close by it, you know, in that in that time frame, uh, by no means will will anybody uh, look back at his tenure and look at it as nothing but a success, uh, considering what we've had here in the last few or last couple coaching hires. I want to ask too: any good Frank Solich stories? What, what was he like on the practice field and in the locker room? Oh, Frank, uh, Frank was no joke, man. Frank was, uh, you know, it goes without saying, uh, when we played the Fiesta Bowl. And uh, so I was a redshirt freshman. We were playing Florida. And I think Coach Osborne had some sort of responsibility for, you know, the game and, and wasn't able to talk to us because uh, we had our, you know, our, our, you know, we watched our, you know, the night before the game and all that. And so Frank had to lead the, lead the, uh, you know, the team and, and talk to us. And let me tell you something, you know, Frank Solich, I don't know how tall he was. I think he was about five, six, five, seven, but he was, you know, he was like a little bulldog. But when I tell you, when he was talking about uh, what, what he said to us, had us ready to go and ready to run through that wall, um, you know, Frank Solis would definitely, uh, you know, is one of my favorite coaches and one of my favorite people of all time. Um, uh, and, you know, a funny story about Frank is I remember I came in as a running back, and then I was, you know, mm-hmm. switched to linebacker. And then I remember walking out to practice one time. I think I might have been a redshirt, and he had the fullbacks out there with the running backs, and they would be doing, they were doing these ISO drills, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, talking all the time, like, man, I can still run the ball. You know, you still think you can run the ball, and everybody's <laughs> talking about what they did in in high school as far as when I was a running back. And I looked over and looked at that practice, and Frank says, "Jay, you missed this." And I was like, "Heck no, I ain't doing all that, man. You guys, you guys do more work. It's like the they say people that are in the in the in the you know in the serve in the army. They do more work with more people uh, before seven a.m. than people do all day." Frank Solis had those fullbacks and running backs doing more than all other position groups did all practice long as far as hitting each other. And so, but it paid off, you know, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Frank was a great coach, man. He was. Uh, you know, he he was a very steady, steady, steady guy. Uh, he was fair. He was tough, uh, but then he was fun to play for as well. You mentioned just all the work that he had the fullbacks and the running backs put in. I'm sure that was great for you in practice to deal with, you know, that level of talent every day. So, you know, when you get to big games like the Fiesta Bowl or then against Tennessee and even to the next level, I mean, you've seen that every day in practice your whole career. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it prepared me. I think, you know, I think the way that Frank, you know, obviously had his running backs in the mindset, he always say, look, we don't run out of bounds, we look them up. And then what he means by that, we're finishing every run. We're bringing a physical type of mentality um, all game long. And the, and the expectation did not change from running back number one 
to if the fifth or sixth string guy got in there, he expected excellence and a physicality as well. Now, how did that help us on defense? We knew that every time that we – you knew when you go in practice, you better bring it. And so you had to compete. You had to be at your best. And, you know, Frank Stolich and, 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 and his running back crew brought it out the best out of, you know, me, I felt like. And I felt like when I was able to go on to the NFL or better yet, when we would play against other teams on Saturdays, I felt like I got my best competition and look in practice. And, you know, if you want to say iron sharpens iron – you know, that was it. And, and Frank was making sure that his guys were definitely sharp as, as uh, anybody across the nation. And he had a ton of confidence. And I think that what he was able to do also is have the expectation of physicality from people on defense because he knew that's what he was preaching in his room and he knew his players would do the same. And, um, you know, it, 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 that running back room, you know, you got to think he had uh, Corey Schlesinger, uh, you know, McEv- both McEvickers, Jeff and Joel, uh, Brian Schuster, uh, my man, I call him Dollar Bill, Billy Legate, and then a host of running backs from Lawrence Hills, Amon Green, Clinton Childs, Damon Benning. Um, you know, even like later on, you know, we had the Corral Buckhalter, the big uh, Thunder Dan, uh, Alexander. We had, a, you know, Willie Miller, fullback. He had guys that were really uh, physical but phenomenal athletes as well. As well. So it was all led by Frank and um, – you know, that's why, he, why why he's one of the best of all time. I think, you know, we talk about being competitive. You know, obviously, you know, just let go here. He very easily could have rolled off in the sunset or just kind of, you know, licked his wounds and just, you know, you know, been, you know, powdered about it. But what did he do? He went and took a job where, you know, nobody thought he could, you know, do, be successful in Ohio. He raised the profile of that university, raised the both financially and in, you know, being a, you know, national on national TV developed a ton of guys that go into the NFL and is, is an iconic figure at the, at the university of, uh, of Ohio. And so that lets you know that he's a great coach. You know, he can do it here in Nebraska. There's probably be excuses where you're just coming over, coming in after coach Osborne and it's easy. Well, he said, you know what? I'm not going to take, go take easy. I'm going to go and show you how I could take something that nobody's else been able to be successful at and go be successful and be great at and do it the right way, do it the Nebraska way. And it's all led by uh, Frank Solis. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to play here in college for two two of the greatest coaches, in my opinion, of all time. And uh, you know, without them, you know, coaching me, uh, I don't. I definitely don't think I'd be as successful as successful as I was, you know, on the field or off the field. So, you know, I, I owe a lot to both of them, um, and I always, you know, very thankful for my time with them. That's the next discussion we want to get into here on old school. College football's coaching Mount Rushmore. As DP and I went through it yesterday, Jay, we settled on three names for sure. And Tom Osborne, Bear Bryant, and Nick Saban on, on the coaching Mount right. Rushmore. Are you are you good with those three? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't have, you know, I don't never saw Bear Bryant or anything like that, but I'm going to go ahead and, you know, you heard about him. Um, but definitely Nick Saban has taken it to a whole other level here in recent times. And then obviously Coach Osborne as well. And, um, you know, all three of them have one thing that's just longevity, consistency, and also, you know, the personality traits of where they're able to motivate uh, players individually and get the best out of them. And they actually all cared about their players. And, um, you know, specifically, I know for a fact was uh, Coach Osborne, obviously, in a person from obviously personal experience. And then obviously, I know enough people with Nick Saban um, that has helped him, you know, where, you know, get successful, where he really cares about his players. He pushes them to the max, 
but he does it so they're more prepared to go out in the real world, both on the football field in the NFL and, um, you know, in real life and be successful because that's ultimately what his part of his job is as a, as a coach. Get you there, teach you what he needs to do, get you ready on the field, make sure you're held to a standard off the field and make you a better person than when you, uh, or when you, you know, better leave a better person than when you came. Who would be your fourth then to, to round out your Mount Rushmore? Uh, I know DP would be, say, uh, Urban Meyer, but let's see, number four. Ooh, that's pretty tough, man. It's, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a little hard. I, I mean, you know, if you go strictly on national titles, then obviously you'd be dipping into the Urban Meyer, right? But I think if somebody, when I think of Mount Rushmore, you could throw in somebody like, you know, Bobby Bowden, essentially, where mm-hmm. he built Florida State up to a national powerhouse from nothing. If you want to still stick with national titles, you could stick with Jimmy. You could go with Jimmy Johnson or Howard Schnellenberger, where you know both of them at a at a university, a private university, uh, was led by Howard Schnellenberger, uh, built it up from scratch, got to the national championship level, and was there for a long time and consistent. Both him and Jimmy Johnson. So I'd probably mix in, you know, uh, any one of those names that I mentioned, um, and I'd feel really good about it. I mean, I, you know, the one also big personality that comes to mind, um, probably not on my list, but on a lot of people's list is Lou Holtz, you know, with, mm-hmm. you know, his success at Notre Dame where he was, uh, always in, in, in the mix. Uh, Woody Hayes, obviously at Ohio state. And then both Shem, Shem, Shem Blackler, uh, at Michigan. So you, there's plenty. And it just kind of depends on what your criteria, what your grading type criteria is and, you know, subjective, but then also it just kind of depends on what your flavor is. But, uh, you know, all there's few and far between, um, especially in this day and age of college football as far as longevity. You could even maybe even throw in, in recent times, you know, maybe he struggled, you know, he, he had struggled a lot in big games, but even, you know, or at least Oklahoma team struggled in big games. You can even like Bob Stoops. He was there for a long, long time um, and successful. And um, so, you know, you just never know. I mean, I think they, you know, those guys right there, I, would, I, I wouldn't be losing if I had those were my, you know, fifth or sixth choices or four choices as, as far as uh, Mount Rushmore, I think I'd be sitting pretty good. And all those guys have led programs to success, you know, for long periods of time, and they would, you know, be successful wherever they went at uh, in present day, even though, you know, they coached, you know, in years past. Believe it or not, DP didn't have Urban at number four on his list. He put Newt Rockney just because of, you know, the, the legacy and how many games he won to start. Um, two other names that we threw around, along with Bowden, who ended up, uh, very close there were Joe Paterno and Barry Switzer. Yeah, I mean both of those. I think uh, Joe Paterno, you know, I think he, you know he he obviously came to mind, but I think part of being a coach is part of the the whole you know is the whole ball of wax. I mean everybody mm-hmm. looks. Barry Switzer had his issues off the field, you know, with the, with his players and stuff, and then obviously Joe Paterno's his was uh, you know um, legacy altering type of. Uh, you know, issues at Penn State. So definitely he would be in there just in coaching and win losses and same with Barry Switzer. You know, look, these are all guys that when you think of coaching, when you think of college football, these are iconic figures, right? It wasn't just a six-year run where they had a couple of good two years and then they couldn't figure it out, right? This is, this is you're talking about teams of decades. You know that every time that you played against certain teams and certain coaches, which you were going to get, and and they were big factors in the advancement, especially when you think of Barry Switzer against Oklahoma, Nebraska, 
and the ability to compete with the Florida teams of advancing college football to where it is today. What I mean by that is coaching and recruiting players and developing a product on the field that was appealing to these TV networks to build the brand of college football universally to, uh, you know, get it to where it is today, where it's a conglomerate and, uh, you know, right on the hot, you know, right on the, on the tails of the NFL as far as being the, you know, end all be all of what people view as a successful weekend is, is whatever their team does on the field on Saturday or whenever the game is. 402-464-5685. That's the number two, the Sarder Heyman text line. If you have thoughts on anything we're talking about here on Old School, we're going to step aside one more time. And then, Jay, I want your thoughts on a survey released by the NFL PA today. They pulled 1,300 players in the league um, about conditions for teams uh, in terms of you know locker room and treatment and whatnot. So we're going to go and reflect back on your playing days. What letter grade, A plus through F minus, would you give the teams you played on in these different categories? We'll, <laughs> we'll do that okay. on old school when we return. <laughs> 